Today's reading is Joshua 24, 1 through 3a, 14 through 25. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Sechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all of the, said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from, the land, from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. <clears throat> now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Sechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, as we consider this passage, I invite you to join me in prayer. Our good God, your world is so beautiful. And we get to see the beauty in the natural world. We get to see the beauty in art and culture and society. We get to see the beauty in each other. You've made this world so good, and yet we live in a, a good, beautiful world that's nonetheless spoiled. And so we come, anytime we gather, um, to seek your face, to seek your presence, to seek your peace, we do so from a, a world of stress, anxiety, trouble, ups and downs. And we have to say that we're in the end, more of a mess than we care to admit. 
and the story that we keep coming back to that the, the narrative of redemption told throughout millennia of scripture tells us that even though we're a mess and we're prone to wander, we are prone to be part of the toxins of this beautiful world and we are prone to spread them. Nonetheless, you have found that, or you have within you a love for us, your creatures and your beautiful world so deep that you've entered in to renew so that we can say we're more of a mess than we care to admit, but in Christ and through your work, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. As you begin to put your world to rights, as you begin to weave things back together because of the empty tomb. And so we can say in Christ, we are, we're not the old creation, but we have been made new. And you are at work making a new thing in this church and in the world. And we find our identity more and more in that as we listen for your voice, even now in this passage. In Jesus' name, we seek your help. Amen. As an era ends, and I'm talking about Joshua, as an era ends for the Israelites and they begin a new era, Joshua's leadership is over and he has a message for them in his old age before he dies and artfully woven into the end of this book to tell us something about what this book of Joshua is supposed to tell us. What happens is it in chapter 24 of Joshua is a covenant renewal ceremony at this place called Shechem. It's not the first time that they've had a momentous covenant re-engagement at Shechem. And the way that this passage is written is um, it's not about the people's actions. It's recounting God's actions. And it's done so in some of the parts we didn't even read. We just kind of got some of the beginning, some of the end. But it's, um, I don't know if you ever learned this about how the Bible, the ancient literature of Hebrew, it's done with, with the number seven. So there's seven great deeds of God that are itemized here. That's the ancient Hebrew number of perfection. So this is a story just, I mean, we talked about this last week with the early chapters of Joshua and covering some of the stickiness of the conquest in this book. So if, if that's where you need to explore, go back and listen to next week. Um, if we have a recording, which I actually can't guarantee that we do. Um, but this week, we're dealing with this covenant renewal ceremony and this reminder that the book of Joshua is not about our actions, but God's perfect action. So when it comes to God's engagement with this broken world, we see that that there's absolute faithfulness, rock-solid promises that God comes through on. That's the message in this passage. And if you're a Christian or if you become a Christian and you're looking at today, our national moment, another transition, another era coming to a close. Um, and let me just tell you, I know because of where we live and who you are, I've walked with you these last four years and beyond. I know that that really it's been four years for a lot of people. Maybe not everyone has the same emotions um, yesterday and today. But for a lot of you, it's been a, a, a season of anxiety and difficulty and struggle and burden and sleepless nights and all the rest. Um, and worse. Um, and I just want to 
be honest about that's a lot of who we are at City Life Church and the struggle of having a leader that, that had a certain way of creating a tone of anxiety almost. And even though I feel all of that and I felt great relief yesterday to just just kind of surprise relief that, that people were celebrating that this is real, that that era of anxiety producing leadership is, is coming to a close, hopefully. I, as a Christian, if you become a Christian, you look at our national moment, it's not, your identity is not, I'm in solidarity with a party. And, be, and things are going to be okay because of this party that I'm a part of or this leader that I was hoping would get elected. But just like with Joshua and the Israelites, the momentous transitions in culture, the reminder is there's a promising God who is faithful. And so this comes to the people really with two invitations in Joshua. It's very, very amazing what Joshua does here. But when we'll be very quick about it, just about five minutes here of reflecting on this. First, his, in, his first invitation is into a story that's bigger than yourself. And the way he does this in, chapter, in verses five and six is masterful. So I'm just going to read it and see if you hear that. It, it's kind of strange, actually. See if you hear what he's doing. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. This is um, Mo, uh, Joshua in saying what God had done in God's voice. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea, and they, cared, and they cried to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. What, what he's doing there is he's intermingling these pronouns. So he's saying, he's basically saying to people who weren't there, most of the people he's talking to now were not there because those people have passed away, most of them, maybe even all of them. And so he's saying to this group of people who wasn't there, he's saying, this happened to you. He's weaving them into the history, into a bigger story and saying, yeah, you weren't there, but this is your story. Because this is a part of the salvation story that I'm weaving you into, you might as well just get used to saying, we were there. That was us. We're a part of this story. One writer um, reflecting on this put it this way. This artful interweaving teaches the people to know themselves as constituted and preserved by God's marvelous grace even now, fully in continuity with the redemption enjoyed by generations past. I want you to consider the implications because that's exactly how God wants you to think about yourself in the story of the Bible. Think about the, the implications of this in terms of our society. Really, it's a society that says you're an independent unit, you're an individual that creates your own small story. It's all about you. It's all about the story you're crafting. And so we say, all right, I'm unanchored. And that's wonderful. A freeze warning has been issued for your location. That's wonderful. I just got a freeze warning on my phone shouting out at me that there's a freeze warning for my location. Okay, just very strange to happen right in the middle of talking. Um, 
so so this is what's going on our culture today is says um you know you're unanchored you're an individual unit and, and that's great i'm unanchored wonderful until it begins to feel like part of being unanchored is having like a weight almost tight around your neck on your shoulders the weight of having to invent everything yourself a compelling identity from scratch you know being untethered feels wonderful and it, yay i'm free until you start to feel alone and lost out at sea and being out on my private little boat feels marvelous until you realize the storm is coming in and i'm being thrashed by the violence of waves and i'm in a boat that is not big enough to handle and to withstand the powerful cultural waves crashing against me you're invited into a bigger story, a gracious, welcoming, story-writing God invites you into the mosaic story that he's writing. You know, listen for this, the same trick that Joshua employs here literarily by putting us, putting the Israelites into the ancient story that happened before they were alive. We do the same thing in our prayer at communion time. You'll notice that today if you pay close attention. We say us, you brought us out of Egypt. You're like, what? Wait. We weren't, that was so long ago. We weren't, no, you brought us out of Egypt. So there's a story bigger than yourself that you're invited to through the first Joshua, Yeshua. But secondly, Joshua, what Joshua does here is tries to do very much like what Jesus would do very regularly in teaching his teachings is he created a crisis of competence. Um, and this, so this is, this is what he says. Uh, the Israelites say um, at the end of verse uh, 18. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. What does Joshua say right back to them? You are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> you know, yes, we will. No. One, one uh, preacher friend of mine on Twitter was researching this passage, getting ready to preach on it as well. And he tweeted that basically the summary of this passage is Joshua says to the people, decide right now, will you serve the Lord? And they say, yes, we will serve the Lord. And he says, no, you won't. <laughs> it's a, wait, what? Um, and this is very much what someone who's later in life can do. And sometimes when we're younger, we don't see it the same way. Joshua has seen everything in his old age. He's very wise. You know, some of us, we can get through our 20s. If you're lucky, you can get through your 20s without having hit a wall, without having hit a crisis of competence. Some of us can even get through our 30s without having hit a wall and have a crisis of competence. I, I know from some of you, and I see the knowing smiles on your faces, but very few of us will get into our 40s, let alone any further, without having a crisis of competence that rocks you to your core. I remember when somebody expressed this in one of our early sessions of Dive years ago. Dive is a discipleship program, and this person reflected on their story and said, you know, for all those years, until this year, for all those years, I thought, yeah, you know, I believe that's Christian stuff. I'm a sinner. I need grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need forgiveness. But I never, I actually, not until this year and the crises that I've experienced, did I finally go deep in my bones. Oh, <laughs> I actually thought I could do it all. Even though I gave lip service to all that humility stuff, I actually thought I could do it. And now I realize what it all means. It's amazing how the first Joshua, Yeshua, number one, 
did exactly the same thing. It's like Joshua understood the gospel before it even had that word to it. And Jesus would do the same thing over and over. And you look at Matthew and Jesus is saying these things like, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, what are you trying to do? Scare everyone away with this impossibly high standard? Eventually, with, with all this teaching like this, Jesus is, of course, trying to create this crisis of competence. Finally, his disciples heard this. They said, this is Matthew 19, uh, verse 25. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And the second Yeshua says, Jesus looked at them and said, with human beings, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. As Joshua gives this challenge and tries to get the people into a crisis of competence so that they might rely on God, he does something very interesting. He has this language of really of a third way. What he does around verse 15 is he says um, he pays homage to the fact that there are two, diff there are actually three different options. The first one is to serve the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates rivers. And he had already hinted at not when he started the story, he didn't start, interestingly, he didn't start with Abraham, you know, the hero. He started with Abraham's father and there and talked about how they worshiped idols. So in verse 15, he's calling back to that and saying, um, okay, choice one, serve your ancestors' idols. Okay, choice two, in, in the next part of the sentence, he says, or the gods of the Amorites. Now, that's the land where they are now. Two options, two idols to serve, two gods to serve. And then he comes in with that famous line, but as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. There's a third way. I see a parallel today. We, can we today, even as many celebrate the relief from the anxiety of a, of a certain kind of leader. Can we hear the call to a third way? A third way that ignores, or that turns, not ignores, but turns from the self-righteousness of conservatism and turns from the self-righteousness of progressivism. And because of the gospel, because of the crisis of competence, and because of the gift of what Jesus offers, realizing the invitation of Yeshua into a crisis of competence has us spurning every version of self-righteousness and trusting in God alone. I don't want to spoil your fun or the relief for some of you of celebrating something that is important to us on a daily basis. I mean, I have to tell you, to me, I'm relieved and I know that there are many people, and this is, this is real, there are many people, and those of you who are therapists or teachers or walk alongside people, social workers, you know this, there are many people who literally will get to taper off of their meds in the next few years because of how it's been you know, to live in a culture full of anxiety and enemy making. That's not everyone, but that's some people. But can we hear the call? Can we hear the call? Can we turn from the self-righteousness of both sides of the political spectrum and trust in God alone?
Let's take a minute. There's, um, I'm gonna do a share screen and there's a couple of questions you can reflect on for a minute, perhaps write them down if you don't have time to reflect fully. Let's take a moment. Let us pray. Heavenly God, God of Joshua, God of Yeshua, there are millions of hurting and wounded and beautiful souls who voted for Donald Trump a few days ago, and there are millions of hurting and wounded and beautiful souls who voted for Joe Biden. Would you help us to dispense of the idolatry of a two-party system and help us to be humble enough to bring peace, healing, and the gospel to all your children. With your help, amen.